This is a podcast of the Church of Indian Lake. All right, let's turn to Ezekiel chapter 10. Ezekiel chapter 10, I'm speaking this morning, a message called The Departure. And this is just a one-week message, something the Lord showed me in my Bible reading last year that I want to share with you this morning. Ezekiel chapter 10, our key text will start in verse 18. There's a movie I went to recently called Inception. Inception, it was... Who in here has seen that movie? Anyone want to admit that? Okay, wow. All right, well, it's a movie about the power of suggestion, the thought that you can suggest a thought to someone and control their dreams. In this movie, both the characters that were in the movie... And those of us who paid nine or ten bucks to see the movie never knew if it was reality or a dream. We would look there and, and you just really couldn't tell. In fact, there's some parts of the movie that you don't even know to this day whether it was reality or dreams. And you've probably had that happen to you before. You know, since that time that there, there has been sometimes I've had vivid dreams and I thought, was that really real or was that fake or what, what happened? And. We're learning a lot about the subconscious mind and the fact that when our mind is at rest at night, it's actually active. Even though we don't have control over it, there are thoughts that are happening. We're learning a lot about that. The truth is this. That's one of the reasons we need to be careful what we put in our mind on a regular basis. And this month in which our culture celebrates darkness and evil and and glorifies the glory. I think that we need to be people of light. Wow, that sounded like there's a haunted house happening. So we want to be people of light. By the way, just, just so you know, anytime we have bleed over sound from the children's ministry, I'm happy about that. Because that means our kids are having fun. There's some life. There's some vitality, huh? There's something happening. If you just want to go to a dead church that's not growing, doesn't have any kids at all, well, we can be nice and comfortable and never have sound interference. But uh, that was just timed really well, wasn't it? So here it is. We're, we, we need to be careful because we, we do know from that our subconscious is very active. In Ezekiel, the passage that we're going to look, about, look to today, Ezekiel shares a vision and we're we're going to look at chapters 8 through 10 and really into 11 too. And a biblical vision is different from a dream. This is what I'm trying to set up. What Ezekiel was experiencing here was not just uh, a result of his subconscious. This was a vision from God. And when a vision comes from God, God is revealing something that is happening in the spiritual realm. You see, the natural realm is what you and I tend to only rely on what we can see, what we can hear, what we can taste, what we can touch or whatever our natural senses. That is our reality. But as God's people full of his Holy Spirit, we realize and we know that there is another reality that's even a more real reality, that there are spirits of darkness and there are angelic spirits and God reigns over it all, but there's things that are happening that we can't see with the natural eye, but is happening in the spirit realm. And that is exactly why we pray. We pray not just to make us feel better psychologically. We pray because in the spirit realm, when we pray, things happen. Positive things happen in areas that our natural physical eyes cannot see. So here it was, Ezekiel has a vision, 
and he sees spiritually through this vision what is actually happening. Some of this is a vision about things are to come. Some of them are things that are present. And so that is the backdrop of, of where we find Ezekiel 10.18. Now, I've read Ezekiel several times through my Bible reading plan. And just to be honest with you, it's very cumbersome to read through Ezekiel. I've come to love the book and enjoy the book. But it's not the most exciting when you read it linear like we all usually read. Because it just kind of mumbles up. And within the middle of the book, I'm about to share with you one of the saddest scriptures in the Bible. A scripture that is such a mournful, sad scripture that if you just read through Ezekiel, you might have missed. And here's our text for today. Ezekiel chapter 10, verse 18. Then the glory of the Lord departed from over the threshold of the temple. Threshold's the doorway. Then the glory of the Lord departed from over the threshold of the temple. What it's talking about there, the glory, it's not talking about like old glory, the flag, or an adjective describing something being glorious. It's talking about something as a Shekinah, the tangible presence of God, the presence of God. Now think about this. This temple, God was very particular about. He designed a temple that was supposed to showcase his presence, that was to be of all the places on the earth, was to be set apart for the purposes of God, to display the presence of God. Yet we find here in Ezekiel 10:18, in the middle of this vision, the glory departs the temple. No more sad words are in the Bible than those right there. So here it is. And in your bulletin, you're going to want to look at the back of your bulletin. I know sometimes I give you the option, but you're going to want to look today because it's going to be helpful. We see that this vision is given in sections. In chapter 8, the first section talks about the wickedness that's in the land. The wickedness that's found in the temple. Chapter 9, you can see that in your outline, is a vision of the wrath of God in Jerusalem. And that's that part of the scripture we're not going to address today. Uh, and that's not going to be our focus, but it's a very intense and gory vision of the wrath of God being released in Jerusalem. And then chapter 10, we've already read the text in there. Talks about the result of all of this, which is the departure of God's glory from the temple. Now, here's the point I want to make. One of the, I'm gonna, I want us now to look in chapter 8. I want you to go to chapter 8 because we're going to look at some key scriptures. When God's presence, we know the end of the story. That his presence departs the temple. But one of the things I want you to realize is that God is not temperamental. And God is not moody. So when God withdrew his presence from the temple, this was not something that he did just on a whim. He had very, very particular reasons why his presence had to leave the temple. Now, one of the temptations you and I are prone to have is to think that we are living amongst incredible, unparalleled wickedness. And when you look at the United States of America for the last 60 years, it has been alarming at what has happened to our culture. I don't think we've even really, really 50 years since the 1960s, I don't think we've really digested how far we have fallen morally in this country. 
And it is very sad to see. It's very disheartening to see. It's very discouraging to see. Yet, I want this scripture, and I want to go through some passages, and I'm going to show you some very dark things that were happening during Ezekiel's vision. So you can understand that we're not the only ones who have been through times of evil and times of darkness. And God always has a plan, even in the dark times. There's always a remnant. There's always a people set apart for his purposes. And you're part of that remnant if you're here today. And, and so I hope that you understand by, by realizing we're not the only people, we're not the only culture who's gone through what we're going through now. First of all, that will give you hope for the future. That God is sovereign and his will will be advanced and his story is going to succeed. He's redeeming the world. And we're part of the story. And there's hope, too, that God can heal our land. So we go to chapter 8. And I want to start in verse 3. At the end of verse 3, as Ezekiel had a vision of the temple, here's a phrase at the end of that verse that says, And I saw where the idol that provokes to jealousy stood. Think about that phrase for a second. The idol that provokes to jealousy stood. He saw that in the temple there was an idol that provoked the jealousy of God. You see, God is a jealousy, jealous God, and His jealousy is completely pure. His jealousy has no error in it. His jealousy is His representation of His all-consuming passion for you. He loves you. He wants your complete heart. He wants you to belong to Him completely. And He, in these days... In the days when he represented himself through a nation or tribe or group of people, he wanted his people to belong to him completely. So it made complete, it was, a, it was a horrible sight to see right there in the temple, the idol that provokes to jealousy stood. Now look at verse 4 with me. Verse 4 goes on and it says, And there before me was the glory of the God of Israel, as in the vision I had seen in the plain. So imagine this. He sees a vision and right there, simultaneously existing for that moment, was an idol and the glory, the Shekinah, the cloud, the presence of God were right there together in the temple. That is a sight that should not be. That's a sight that God cannot allow. Now, we can imagine how reprehensible we would think this was if we saw that here was this holy place dedicated to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had idols there. And idols, and, and just make no mistake about this, anything that's not submitted to Jesus Christ, any idol is attached to demon spirits. So any type of healing, any type of revelation, any type of prophecy that's not attached to Jesus and His Word and the Word of God it's attached to any other religion, religion is operating under demon spirits. So demon spirits are there right next to the presence of God. It's a picture that should not happen. That should not be. Now think about something. You, you find that reprehensible, I'm sure. But think about your heart. Think about your life. Because if you had spiritual eyes to see that the temple's right here. I'm the temple. And you're the temple. And do we have idols in our temple? And we think that somehow 
the presence of God and idolatry is going to be compatible. It's not so. That will cause a departure of God's presence to come. If we try to make light and darkness compatible, it is impossible. It won't happen. So moving down to uh, verse 7, we're not going to see that on the screen, but verse 7, for whatever reason, I find this clever. There's like a secret passageway Ezekiel finds. It's like in the wall. There's a special door and he goes into the secret passageway. And in verse 10, we'll pick it up there together in chapter 8. So I went in and looked and I saw portrayed all over the walls, all kinds of crawling things and detestable animals and all the idols of the house of Israel. In front of them stood 70 elders of the house of Israel. He goes on to describe one of them standing among them. Now, listen, listen, look at this with me. Each had a censer in his hand and a fragrant cloud of incense was rising. Now, I'm in verse 12 of Ezekiel chapter 8. And he said to me, son of man, how have you seen what the elders of the house of Israel are doing in the darkness, each at the shrine of his own idol? And they say, the Lord does not see us. The Lord has not forsaken us. Let's see if Ezekiel 8.12, if you can find that, you can put that up. Ezekiel 8.12. Here it was, the leaders, the leaders of God's people, the 70 elders, they're in this secret hallway, the secret passageway. And there's idols there and they're burning incense to the Lord in secret. And what's their motivation? You can read it there at the end. It's on the screen. The Lord doesn't see us. The Lord has forsaken the land. Here they are, secret sins of the leaders of God's people. Trusting not in the Torah, not in the Word of God, not in the tradition of their elders, not in the tradition of their ancestors. Now, because they think God has abandoned them and God has forsaken them, they're going to idolatry, they're burning incense to some God and they're doing it in the house of God and they're doing it in secret. And I just believe that this is a prototype of what God's wanting to do today. God is wanting to expose the secret sins of his leaders. He is. Because when the leaders are not depending upon God, therefore the people won't either. And I pray for myself and I pray for you because you're all leaders too. That we would all not trust in human effort. And not trust in human wisdom. Not trust in the spirit of this world and the adultery of this world. The adultery that is adultery which is... Uh, uh, materialism, the idolatry which is self-promotion, the idolatry that is trusting in the economy and trusting in ourselves and trusting in human techniques and trusting in principles that are, are seeped in humanism, where man is in measure, that we don't trust those things. Those are idolatry. Instead, we submit to God. We submit to His ways. We submit to who He is. Even when we could mistakenly say, well, the Lord doesn't see us. The Lord's forsaken the land. He has let it never be. Let it never be going on. And going on as we look at verse uh, 14. Verse 14, it says, Then he brought me, this is chapter 8, verse 14, to the entrance to the north gate of the house of the Lord. And I saw women there mourning for Tammuz. Tammuz was a Sumerian god who practiced as part of its worship prostitution that was occultic in nature. In nature. So here it is that the women were mourning over a God that promoted prostitution. And right there in the 
temple gate in the presence of God. He moves on to verse 16. He says, and I'm just giving you some highlights there. And he then brought me into the inner court of the house of the Lord. And there at the entrance to the temple, between the portico and the altar, were about 25 men. Now, most likely, these 25 men were priests. And that, that's what most commentators think. Now, watch this phrase. With their back toward the temple of the Lord and their face towards the east, they were bowing down to the sun and the east. They turned their back on the temple and instead were worshiping the sun. They were worshiping, they were worshiping a false god. They were worshiping demon spirits. Now, I went through that process for a second because I know all of us have a propensity to sin. Things happen like, you know, someone cuts us off in the carpool line at the school or we slander someone or, you know, we, we stay too long on a channel when we should push the, the up button and go on. Whatever the case is, these type of sins that our sinful nature seems to connect to. And those are legitimate sins that we need to eliminate from our life and I'm not minimizing those in any way. But I'm just making the point here that this was blatant rebellion against the ways of the Lord. This was a, a, a form of blasphemy in the temple of the Lord, turning away willfully, not just sinning, but turning away and worshiping false gods, worshiping demon spirits. I say all of that because now I want to explain to you how the presence of the Lord left the temple. And you can find this in chapter 10 and chapter 11. Because the presence of God, you would think, would just vanish from the temple. But the presence of God left the temple in a process. When Ezekiel had the vision, he had the vision of the throne of God. And you might have heard about there's a will within the wheel. That's there at the beginning of chapter 10. And it's this huge description of God that our mind can't even really, really digest completely. And lets us know that what he saw was not something he just made up. I mean, this is just probably something he couldn't even describe. And he sees the presence of God. And he sees it there in the temple. And then there's a process. The presence of God leaves where the cherubims were. And the cherubims were that which protected. And it went up to the threshold of the temple, which is in the doorway. So we can imagine, like, let's say the throne of God, just as a word picture for you, the throne of God is here, and the, the, the presence of God is the clouds right there where it's supposed to be, and then it goes up to, it goes up to, like, the ceiling here. So it's, it hasn't left the temple, but, but it's gone. It, it's at the doorway. It's wanting to leave. And then the next place, it goes to the east gate. The east gate was a processional gate. It's where people came in and came out. And then Ezekiel saw the presence of God at the east gate. And then lastly, it went to the mountains east of the temple. We know now these mountains are, we know them as the Mount of Olives, where Jesus had so much uh, significant times with his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane and so many special times there. So it went, it went from the the, the place in the temple, the Holy of Holies, where it's supposed to be, to the threshold, to the east gate, to the east mountains. And it left. There's a couple of things I want you to write down if you're taking notes. And I want you to, in the back of your bulletin, is this. I want you to understand something is that the presence of God cannot, cannot remain with sin. The presence of God cannot, it has to leave sin. That's number one. It has to leave sin. 
You know, Newton's third, third laws of physics, third, third law of physics says this, that for every action, there's a reaction. For every action, there's a reaction. You know, God is holy, which means this. He's perfect. There's no sin. There's no error. There's no hidden motive in God. He's completely pure. He's completely holy. What that means is this, is that God cannot tolerate sin, period. He can't. By his very nature, God cannot tolerate sin. Thank God for Jesus and what he did. He's our substitute. He's our covering. He's the one that allows us to receive his grace. So even though we have sin and unfortunately do on a, on a somewhat regular basis, even though we're trying to become more like Jesus, Jesus is there to cover us from the sin. You know, the other day I was at a, a concert uh, with a friend of mine who's really close to the Lord. It was a Christian-based concert. And uh, we were talking, we were dialoguing, kind of watching the stage, talking to each other. I was watching the stage, and, and uh, something happened that was unusual for me, and I just, you know, it, it, was, it was just something that, that was really strange in my estimation. I looked next, and this guy was gone. He had vanished. He didn't just poof. I found out later he had hit the door and walked out the door. Later on, I talked to him and said, what happened? And he said, listen, I saw something there that the spirit within me said to leave right now. The Holy Spirit said, leave right now. In his estimation, that was his response. Now, Jesus spent time with sinners. He spent time with prostitutes. He spent time with uh, people of bad reputation. He spent time with drunkards. So it's not only impractical, but unbiblical for us to say we can never be around sin. But there are times when we're around something that that the Holy Spirit says, get out, get away from the spirit within us says, do not be around this. You see, this is the holiness of God within us. It's the, the presence of God within us that won't tolerate tolerate sin contaminating our spirits when it is going to be something that's going to contaminate our spirit that we're not giving the influence we're being influenced negatively that the holy spirit within us says get out leave go his spirit will not be compatible with 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 any demon spirit or with any spirit that's not not of the lord when i when i uh early on in beth and my marriage we were pastoring in texas and we uh, had small kids at that time. And we would travel from Texas to eastern Kentucky, as you guys have heard me talk about those trips uh, uh, on many times here. Uh, it was a long way from Dallas to eastern Kentucky. In fact, Memphis was the halfway point. So we would go on these trips, and I knew that uh, Beth wanted to maximize her time. Uh, her mom has eight brothers and sisters. They all have kids. They all have Grandchildren, so there's just lots and lots of people to see. I knew Beth would want to maximize her time, so the last day possible to leave, I said, let's, let's leave at 8 o'clock, 8 or 9 o'clock. And so we're packing the van, we're getting ready to leave, and all of a sudden I hear the phone ringing. Little did I know on the other end of the phone, conversations like this were happening. Her sister said, hey, can you drop by the office? All the girls I work with really want to see the babies. Then her aunt called and said, hey, one of the kids left a toy here. Can you drop by and get it? And plus, we want to say goodbye. Her other sister called and said, hey, if you can just come by real quick, there's a gift I want to give you. 
Mom called and she worked at a bank. She said, hey, before y'all leave town, town, drop by the bank and let me say bye to the kids and show them off to the workers. So little did I know in these times that our nine o'clock departure meant we left the house at nine, but we didn't leave the city till 2 p.m. Stop after stop. Goodbye after goodbye, because they knew that it would be a while before they would see each other. Why was it that way in those days? Was that way because Beth's heart was there and she didn't want to depart. Her heart was with her family. Have you ever been to a party or a dinner party or a 242 group and you say goodbye to everyone, but it just lingers? The goodbye starts in the living room and then it goes to the hallway and then it goes to the porch. Then it goes to the van. Um, I believe lingering is of the devil. I can't stand lingering, but if I'm going to be married to this pretty girl here, I'm going to have to learn to linger. Long goodbyes. And we've all experienced that. Why? Because our heart is with the event. Our heart is with the people. And just to say goodbye and abruptly leave, like I would prefer, would be rude. Because our hearts are there. See, I want you to write the second thing down here about God's presence. Is God's presence is reluctant to leave you. See, that's, what, that's the heart that I see in God through this passage. Unbelievable sin. Unbelievable adultery. Unbelievable rebellion against God. Yet God moves from the throne room to the threshold, to the east gate, to the mountains. Demonstrating a reluctance to leave His people. See, those are the saddest verses in the Bible. The glory departs the temple. Because if the glory is not in the temple, if the presence is not in the temple, then all the temple is, is a museum. All it is, is a tourist attraction. It's God's presence that makes it special. It's God's presence that makes it unique. And He, he had chosen this group of people and said, I'm going to represent myself through this group of people. And that group of people had turned their backs on the Lord. Just like you have, just like I have. You see, today He's chosen His church. He's chosen us as His Holy Spirit. He will not tolerate the sin in our life. He will not tolerate it. He'll cover it. He'll forgive it. He'll let His grace cover it. But he will, not co- he will not tolerate that. And if you don't feel the presence of God like you once did, I'm not here to question your salvation. That's between you and the Lord. But I know this is that you're not going to be as close to the Lord as you once were. If you have idols, if you have sin, if you have things in your life, if you're participating with things that are attached to demonic spirits, you won't feel His presence as you should and as you could. And it's not because God is like, gotcha, I'm out of here. No, there's a reluctance in God. He, he, he moved in this passage, in this vision. He left in a process because his heart's with you and he wants so much. He wants so much for you to be the person he's called you to be. Here's the third thing I want you to write down. Why? What do we learn about the presence of God? The presence of God will keep you safe. You see, in 586 B.C., after this vision, Nebuchadnezzar and his army came. And they totally destroyed and desecrated this temple. It happened again in A.D. 70. Again, the temple was completely desecrated. How in the world could an ungodly army led by 
a man who was not submitted to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, how in the world could they move in the most special building there is and overtake it and destroy something that God had specified? God had said, this is how you build a temple. This is the size of the temple. This is how I want the furniture built. This is where I want the gold. This is how I, this was God's special building. How in the world could a wicked king come in and destroy that building? Let me tell you how. It's because of Ezekiel 10:18, the glory had departed the temple. The presence had the part of the temple, and the temple was now vulnerable. It was vulnerable. The safest place, the safest time the temple ever was, was not when Israel's army was the strongest and their king was the boldest. It's when the presence was the thickest and the glory was the most real. In your life, the greatest protection you're going to have is the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. It's going to protect you from evil. The presence of the Holy Spirit is going to give you discernment. The presence of the Holy Spirit is going to give you wisdom. The presence of the Holy Spirit is going to have you walk in divine healing. The presence of the Holy Spirit is going to give you the ability to discern that which is of God and which is not of God. The presence of the Holy Spirit is there to warn you. The Holy Spirit is there to convict you. It's there to prepare you for the future. It's a presence of the Holy Spirit within you. You are the temple which protects you from what the enemy wants to destroy. The enemy of your soul, soul wants to come and destroy every good thing God has created in you. He wants to pillage your temple. He wants to take the dreams, the gifts that God's given you, and to corrupt them and to totally use them for the enemy's purpose. But when you keep his presence there and you value it and you get rid of idolatry in your life and you get rid of sins in your life and his presence is clear... You are the safest you've ever been. You're safe in the hands of God. You can apply that any way you want to. You're safe in His presence. You're safe when His Spirit is dwelling in you and His Spirit is alive and real within you. Here's the last thing I want to say today. Number four is this. Is that the presence of God will return when you welcome Him back. The presence of God will return when you welcome him back. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 1. We're going to look at verse 9 and 10. Jesus, when he ascended to heaven, he had some special words for his disciples. As you're turning to Acts chapter 1, I want to remind you of something. I want you to remind you of what, where the presence of God went from the Holy of Holies to the threshold. Then it went to the east gates. Then it went to the mountains east of the temple. It left in a process, and then it vanished. Jesus came to this earth again as God Himself, fully God and fully human, and He was the glory of God. He was the glory personified, not just contained in a temple. He was the glory all about amongst the people, the glory that healed, the glory that taught, the glory that revealed, the glory that took your sins, the glory that was resurrected from the dead. And then here He was at His ascension, his ascension, he told the disciples these words, or, or this is a story, excuse me, starting in verse 9 of Acts 1, said, After he had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and the cloud hid him from their sight. Verse 10, And they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into the heavens. So Jesus ascended to heaven. 
And God said, and the angels, God said through the angels, the same Jesus is going to come back the same way. You're going to see the glory come back again. Remember the process from the temple to the threshold to the gate to the mountains? Do you know where those mountains were? The Mount of Olives? Do you know where Jesus was when he ascended to heaven? He ascended on the Mount of Olives. And he said, when the angels said, Jesus is going to come back in the same way. He's going to come back to the same place that the glory departed in Ezekiel. It's going to be a second glory. It's going to be a glo- and coming in power. And it won't just be contained to a temple. It will be a new heaven. It will be a new earth. There will be a, a place where there's no sin. That there's no sickness. That there's no weakness at all. It will be His glory revealed fully. Now here's the point for you. Some of you, the glories departed in your life. The glory, the presence of God is just not as strong as it used to be. And you've done some bad things. You've done some things that you'd be ashamed anyone else to know. You thought some things you wish you wouldn't have thought. And you think, I used to be close to God, but I don't deserve to be close to Him again like that. I'm going to agree with you. Say, you don't deserve it. But I don't deserve it either. I don't deserve to be as close to God as I used to be. But it doesn't matter what we deserve. It matters how gracious and loving and forgiving He is. You see, the glory is going to come back to your life if you welcome it. It's going to come back. It's going to come back the same way it left. It's coming back to the same place. But the glory is going to be greater. It's a greater glory. It's a greater presence. The presence of God can be stronger and more real in your life again. There can be a more passion for Jesus than there's ever been. Don't be hopeless. Don't think that the glory is departed forever. If you welcome Him back, it's going to come back again to the same place it was before. But this time it's going to be stronger. This time it's going to be more pure. This time it's going to be without any, any limitations. It's a greater glory from the Lord. Would you stand with me? Would you stand with me? God, we thank you so much. Lord, there was a departure, but your departure only pointed to your appearing. Lord, there was a time of withdrawal, but your withdrawal only pointed to, Lord, you coming back again. Lord, we thank you that you're going to come back to make things stronger and greater in our lives. And we believe that. I want us to respond to the Lord right now. And can we sing together? I want us to sing to the Lord because this teaching today... This has been a Church at Indian Lake podcast. Be sure to check out IndianLakeChurch.com for all updated news and information.